Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you so much for joining us again today. And if you are a sales guy or gal, and, and you have surfed the world of podcast out there, you're going to find this guest. He and my friend Scott Lease have a sales podcast called the, Sa- the Surf and Sales Podcast. I almost butchered that, and Lease is probably going to come kick my butt. But right. Richard, Richard Harris is a sales guy. He's a podcaster and just an all-around good dude. And I just I wanted to have him on the Intentional Encourager podcast to share his story with you today. Richard, how you doing today, man? I'm great, Brian. Like I'm I'm really excited about this. It's um uh it's a different podcast for me to come on to. So, you know, it's it's always sort of interesting to go on any podcast and I appreciate anybody who wants to let me talk. Um, but you know, I, I just love the fact that you know your your intentional piece of this is really a piece that drives me to it. So I'm excited for the conversation. Long answer, but thank you. I love the pipes, man. I love those. I, I was just drinking it when you were talking, man. I was just drinking it in. Like, yeah, it's always fun. Listen, for me, it's always fun to talk to another podcaster because we we yeah we we have podcasts and we come at things from a different angle. But I love just hearing your experiences and and what what your podcast means to you. So let's start there. You you and Scott Lease have and Scott's been a guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You guys have done this surf and sales. I was going to go here a little bit later, but let's go here now. Let's you know it's my podcast. I can do what I want to. Let's go right. here now. When you guys are recording the surf and sales podcast, what's a recurring theme that keeps coming up? either with your guests or with you guys that no matter what you're talking about, this theme just keeps coming up in the midst of, and we're recording this in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. What, what continues to be a recurring theme for you guys? Um, I think the recurring theme is that we try to ask questions a little more deeply and intimately, which I think you do too. I think that's why I'm excited to be here. Um, we, the recurring theme is we always get into someone's background of sales, how they got into sales. And it's so interesting that so few people have a degree in sales, right? Like that, that wasn't even a, a possibility for a super long time. Um, but you know, you have marketers, um, you have former engineers. We just did a, a recording today with a guy from sales loft who, um, who is, you know, it has almost a PhD in electrical engineering kind of a thing. And now he's head of sales strategy, right? Like, so that's the biggest thing is that sales is not, you know, everybody comes from the same background, right? Like that's the, you got to tell me when that thing drops, because I've got a 20 year old son that's in mechanical engineering at Marshall yeah. university. And I have tried like crazy to go, why don't you think about business and sales and ah oh, dad i'm just not wired that way and yeah, here you I, guys are talking to a guy it's, that's it's got a dropping PhD. on monday i mean i'm happy to tell you that it, it drops on monday what's today today is the second so it'll drop on the eighth um the this would be my advice from one father to a next right he's 20 years old don't you know pick other battles like he's in college <laughs> he's getting a degree he's gonna launch right like 
be happy with that, right? Oh, I, and, I is so true, man. That is you know, so true. And just, just, but it's hard. Like I've got, yeah. I'm going through the 11 and 12 year old stage where my 12 year old is like in the room, the lights are off, it's dark. He wants to play a video game like that. I'm at that stage, right? Like he's not even a teenager yet, but. But oh, I've been there, man. I, I've been I know there. you I do. Was, I'm going to call I, you for advice. Well, yeah, I was like the worst human being in the world for like two or three years. And it's Apparently. like, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and, so. and it, but I love what you said there about people coming from diverse backgrounds mm -hmm. into sales. When I was in the food service industry, I worked with two guys that had education degrees and ended up yeah. selling food and retired. Both of them just recently in the last couple of years retired from selling. In fact, there were three or four guys that I worked with in that particular company that came from an education background that said, yeah. there's way more money. It, I mean, I know I get summers off, but there's way more money in, in selling food there, than there is in teaching. My favorite people when I was hiring people is to hire teachers. If I could tell anybody to go recruit, I'd be like, I'd go recruit any teacher because they know how to take complex and make it simple. They know how to explain it in an easy way to understand. They're super patient with impatient people. Like, I don't care what C-level executive you're talking to, you know, I'm talking about a fifth grader, you know, or a four or a five-year-old, like they have way more patience for it. And then they realize how much more money they can make and enjoy it. Right. And still do good in the world. Right. Like, you know, yeah. You know, you, they can change the perception of sales, no matter what it is, is they're helping other people. Right. So. So, so you're me, saying a salesperson, you have to be smarter than a fifth grader to be a salesperson. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hey, man, I, over 20 let me, years. Let me rephrase that. I think you need to know how to teach a fifth grader. Yeah. Well, listen, a fifth grader. listen, man, uh, this, this is, I used to have long flowing locks. And then this was, this was what happened when I spent 20 plus years in sales. It just kind of don't like, top. don't even start there. I, I can know, show you man. pictures of me with big mullets <laughs> and everything like, you know. This is why I love this man. And, and if you're watching on YouTube, you know, I, I, and I think I've got, oh man, you know, my wife's telling me, he's like, she's like, you got to quit wearing hats. You're going to go bald. And I'm like, yeah, How you know, you? whatever. How old are you, Brian? Uh, Richard, I'll be 49 in August. Dude, I'm 50. I'll be 52 in April. Relax. So we're not if that, you, yeah, you, we're not that far apart. Not only that, but if you like, by the time, if you're going bald, which I don't think you are, you would have gone bald already. And you know, if it happens when you're 65 or 70, then you made it like relax. Oh, right. dude, my, my wife's grandfather, we, 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 we lost him back in November. Sorry. Full head of hair. Yeah. 98 when almost 99, when he passed. Yep. It's crazy. I said, those are the genes you got to have. Absolutely. Yeah. The re so I, I want to go, I want to park there for just a minute. Yeah. About recruiting teachers because they can, teach anybody so let me go here for just a second mm -hmm. is it is it their ability to convey simple concepts as far as 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 helping customers understand products and processes or is it the way they're just able to communicate on such a granular level with anybody that they come in contact with i think it's that and their ability to deliver value and to speak from the heart Right. Like if I think about teachers, you know, my teachers, the, you know, the ones that were really good that I loved, even the, even the ones I didn't like who were tough on me, they were trying to lead with value. 
right? I'm sorry, they were trying, they were leading from the heart because they're passionate about helping someone get smarter and wiser and, and grow as a human. Um, but then they also add value, right? They're not just teaching you four plus four is eight. They're teaching you the good, again, the right teachers teach you why you need to know this mm-hmm. and why this is important for you. And that's the piece that I think makes them great salespeople too. Um, all those other things are tactical, right? And, and, yeah. and, and they, those are the soft skills that so many salespeople don't have. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, that's what I like about them, you know, and I've, I've had the, I've had the pleasure of actually working for an education company that sold, you know, software and, and, you know, and, and SAS into K-12 and, you know, college institutions and the best salespeople there were former teachers. I tell you, yeah. like they get it. They can, they can talk to the teachers and the administrators, in a trusted way that, you know, not to say I couldn't have done or those things I did, but there was just another element of immediate trust, right? Like it's, it's yeah. kind of like, you know, um, you know, you, you know, you, you know, you expressed your, your faith before we got on here and we have different faiths, but we respect each other, but absolutely, but it's, it's, you know, it's as, as someone who, who grew up Jewish, it was, I dated kind of whoever and, I always sort of knew in the back of my mind, I wanted to marry somebody Jewish because I didn't want to have an uncomfortable conversation, mm-hmm. you know, and we're more ish than Jew. Let me be honest. Like, you know, <laughs> you, know we you guys aren't as Jew. hardcore out there in California right. so, as they are in the East so, Coast. Um, so, but, but there are just certain things where things are more natural. Like, you know, I would, I would assume the same could be said for two Catholics, marrying two Catholics versus a Protestant yeah. and a Catholic, although that may be easier. I don't know. Um, you know, but, but there's a comfort level there when it's a teacher selling to other teachers. And even then, when it comes up and it comes out from the teacher and how they deliver, right? Like I talk all the time about people don't buy just what you do. They also buy how you do it. Yeah. And teachers to me just have the how built in. So that's, that's why I'm so pro, so pro on that. Well, and here's the thing too, is that, and I've said this over a number of years in sales myself, every customer defines value differently. Right. But teachers have a way, to your point, they have a way of communicating precisely to that student what's valuable to that student. They they understand at a core level when they're dealing with Johnny. Okay. Yeah. Johnny, Johnny is outgoing. When I ask a question, he's the first to raise his hand. So they know how to deliver that value to yeah. Johnny. Um, Susie, on the other hand, is shyer. You have to pry the information out of her a little bit quicker mm-hmm. or a little bit, you know, you, you, you can't be quick with, with her. her. You have to work with her. Exactly. And, and, and she knows how to, to get that, you know, Susie to, to, to get done what they need to get done. So I love that part about value and things like that. But ultimately here's the thing too, Richard, it's about their ability to connect with kids, because keep in mind, they have a new set of customers every year. Yeah. They have a whole new set of customers every year. And and they're the customers that leave go on to to whatever it whatever it is that they do. Yeah. And and they have a whole new set that comes in and it and the kids leave and transfer in. And so they have to really be on par with connecting. And I love what you said about finding somebody, you know, when, when you marry somebody, finding that common ground and things like that. 
what do when when you study teachers i, I want to stay here for just a minute because you've hit on something really really profound when you study teachers other than connection and delivering value what else is there that yeah, they do really well you made you while you were speaking i had some time to think about it and i don't think i've said this before but i've inferred it one they're very good at active listening right? Because they have to listen to the child who sometimes can't even explain why they don't understand, right? Like my 11 year old, like he's doing division or multiplication, you know, they, they, you know, they have to be able to actively listen. And the same thing could be said in calculus class in college or high school, right? Yeah. Like the teacher has to actively listen. They also have to read body language. They have to be able to see that Johnny's really uncomfortable, and is Johnny uncomfortable because he's bored? Is he uncomfortable because he needs to go to the bathroom? Is he uncomfortable because he doesn't get it? Like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. So I think, again, those skills that are not specifically taught as well as I think they should be in sales um, are what they bring to the table. And that's how they add the value, right? It's how they, it's how they operate. And then the last thing I would say is they also understand following a process. Yeah. They know that before I can teach you division, I got to teach you multiplication. Before I teach you multiplication, I got to teach you addition and subtraction. Yeah. Right? So they know how to follow a process. They have a lesson plan that they follow the entire year. The entire school year is a massive sales process because they're having to sell these children to do something that, as you know, many of them don't necessarily want to do. Right. No, hundred percent. And, and Richard, I'll say this. I, I, I hear something as you were talking and I wrote this in, in my book, People Buy From People, People Buy Observation. And teachers are incredibly observant because they, totally. can, they can see behavior changes when something is going on at home in that student's life. They, they're the usually the first ones, to, if that child, God forbid, that child is a, a victim of domestic violence. Sure. Or yeah. parent is struggling with a health issue that no one else knows that teacher picks up on it because all of a sudden that, that behavior shift comes out. They have the ability to uncover deep pain points. And again, when we're in sales, customers are not always going to tell us this is the real objection. This is yeah. the real pain point that I have. I don't want to do business with you because you remind me of a bad experience I had in the past. Yeah. And you, and it could be, have nothing to do with you whatsoever, but that buyer is reminded of a deep pain point that they have. And, and to your point, teachers are, they pick up on that because they're, they are observant intentionally. Right. And so um, I love what you said there about that being good at active listening. I, I want to ask you, I want to go here for just a second with you guys or with, I want to bring you. up, I want to bring up one yeah, more go thing ahead, before please. you go there. Yeah. But the other thing that I, again, through this conversation, I'm actually taking some notes too, is that the other thing I like about teachers too, is they understand objection handling. They know how to Ooh, sit and be patient yeah. through the objection, right? And then they know how to coach and they yeah. know how to speak back and they know how to have empathy. Yeah. So all these skills that we need to teach our reps to do better at the asking questions and which questions to ask and discovery and closing and all those things, they, not only do they know it, they've been trained in it. Like they've been trained in like child behavior, human behavior, yeah. human psychology that again, just, you know, if I were going to be able to recruit, I would start there. And I don't care if you're selling, you know, GE engines to Boeing, 
Like, I don't yeah. care. Like I, I can teach them the tech stuff. I can't teach them. It's harder to teach that soft skill. Go ahead though. I, I sort no, of. No, no, no. You, you just brought something else to the table. So when I was in the food business, we had this fundamental uh, paradigm uh, disagreement, I'll say. So we had a sales, we had a VP of sales that came from the kitchen background. He was a chef by trade. And his philosophy was let's hire chefs who can speak to chefs who can speak the language and we'll teach them sales. Totally. Okay. I was on the other side and my sales manager who worked side by side with me, who was a former chef, we fell on the side of, we want to hire a good salesperson and we can teach them food. We want to hire that person to your point that has the ability to understand how to read a customer, that understands how to lead a customer into a positive buying experience, who makes and delivers, who creates and delivers value consistently every time, authentically, with empathy and things like that. And so that was the shift in our business was, you know, can we teach sales? And, and to me, it was easier to teach food than it was to teach sales because I saw the failure rate of the guys that weren't sales aligned. But who taught you? I have a question. Yeah. Who taught you how to sell or were you a little bit more like me of the old school, you know, here's two days of product training. Here's the big book <laughs> of objections. Now I'm having flashbacks, man. Now right. I'm, yeah, man. Go, go sit next to Bob and do what Bob does. Right. You know like, who taught me sales you, you, to that question? My dad taught me sales. Yeah. My, my dad. Yeah. My dad taught me sales and I'll tell you how my dad did it. I watched my dad interact with people at church, at, at, at the grocery store. We would run into somebody and my dad would just be warm and genuine and was more concerned about how this other person was doing. He would leave them with a smile and a hug. I learned sales from my dad watching my dad, how he interacted with people day in and day out. And, and I saw my uncles who were, successful. I, I saw how people reacted when they came around. So to answer your question, Richard, I, I, I guess I, you know, I learned it from my dad because but, I, that's how I grew up. But can you teach that to your son? I'm trying. Yeah, so, absolutely. I'm, so I'm trying. Well, so he, he the, needs to read people buy from people. It's what he needs to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like I sit down and I teach my kids and they're 12 and 10 and you know, they, they're, they're sometimes curious, sometimes not. But I'll teach them like, okay, this is what an open-ended question is. And here's how it works. Like, I'll actually teach them the tactic to it. Not because I don't care. You know, they're going to sell everywhere in their life. And I'm like, look, if you're in a disagreement with your friends, ask questions like this. And your friends are going to end up solving the problem for you. And you don't have to think so yeah. hard. So, yeah, so and I, I told my... Super I'm a well, tactical sales trainer in that regards, right? Like I teach that I teach active listening and body language and open and close into questions and, you know, you know, reframing and all that stuff. So, well, and I told my son the same thing he was talking about. He, he had a particularly troubled, not troubled, but just not a real good night at work. And he was talking about, he said, you know, he said the people that I work with, he works in a little small grocery store, a little family owned right. grocery store. And he said, well, the people I work with, don't have any long-term vision and it's frustrating. I said, but you have to go to work and be tactical, right? You're not them. So don't be them. You come to work, do the, do the best job you can work your seven, eight hours 
And guess what? You get to come home. Yep. And and you have a plan for for how you want to spend your life yep. and moving forward with it. Let's step aside, take a quick break. I want to get more into conversation with Richard. And a little bit later, we're going to get into his story. We'll come right back here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Hey, Richard, I love what you said about being tactical. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's hard for some people in sales or in leadership to be tactical first and, and do it calmly. Because I, I think tactically, when, 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 when I say tactical, and here's how I want to frame that question. Some people believe tactical is being monotonous or robotic or not having a great personality. But really tactical is knowing how to get from point A to point B successfully and navigating the roadblocks. Why do you think it's hard for some people in sales to be tactical? Well, I think we're, we're, we are um, the product of our previous generation, right? And, you know, as, as you and I discussed in terms of our age, we came up when, you know, unless you went to Xerox or IBM or Kodak, I don't even know if the people know what Kodak is anymore, um, you know, but these big companies, Chevron, Texaco, what, you, know, you know, Exxon, there wasn't sales training, right? There is, there was, it was, and to that extent, even if there was, it wasn't easily accessible, right? So we had to do what people taught us and what people taught us because there was no, you know, sales class. There was no, you know, you know, it, it wasn't there. You, you just sort of got a hodgepodge of information. Now, the beautiful thing about sales is you don't need a degree. I've yeah. hired tons of people who, you know, have high school educations and for whatever reason, you know, maybe they become a parent early in their life or whatever, but they, you know, they love the, they love it and they want to make money and they don't need a degree to go make a lot of yeah. money. Right. So, yeah. so that's why it, it didn't happen for so many people who went into sort of the small business, right? Like I used mm -hmm. to, you know, the first place I worked was a, was a newspaper company that sold classified ads, right? I sold stuff in the back of the paper. Nobody taught me how to sell. They just said, here, do this, right? Or and, go shadow Bob. He's He's right. been selling for 30 totally. years and, and right. Bob is is the best salesman. And then, guy. And then, and then yeah. Bob would be like, I don't know what I do. I just do it, right? Like, <laughs> you know, um, you know 100%, I think the biggest, man, 100%. So I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is that, and this is why I love working with particularly millennials and Gen Z is, you know, even 10 or 12 years ago as a Gen Xer, I would never share my tactics, I would never tell you how I was good at it often because I didn't know, 
but I thought I needed to be secretive about it. Whereas now with the internet, there's so much information out there. It's like, you know, I give away tactics all the time. You follow me on LinkedIn. I'm giving out advice all the time on stuff. Um, I'm giving away, you know, I wouldn't say I give away my training for free, but in some ways I, because I'll talk about a particular part of the sales cycle because that builds trust. It builds empathy. It lets people know that I'm not, you know, full of it. Or if someone wants to disagree with me, I want them to, like, I want that feedback. So I think there's an openness that's changed um, in the last many years. And, you know, I, I think you can certainly say the internet's helped that. And then generationally, like, you know, you know, you and I just learned to Google stuff, whereas our kids are like, let me just YouTube it. Like, yeah. I don't, well, they don't even Google anymore. <laughs> well, when you talked about being full of it, you got to remember my initials are BS. So I, I, right. I come at that at a, at a granular level. So that's awesome. And, and kids and, and Richard kids, my son is very question driven. He wants to know the why behind everything. Mm-hmm. And he's always been that way. Like, well, you need to tell me. I would tell him, I'm like, yeah, go pick that up. He's like, why? I don't know, because I said so. And the way I grew up was when my dad spoke, it was like if 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 you had to ask why, it was not a good day. It's like, you know, d- don't ask me why. Right. I, my, you, but But again, to your point about the previous generation, being authoritarian if somebody said hey bob sells like this you sell like bob it that was the sales training right that was here was it look here's the manual here's how we're going to do it and this generation i love what you said about this generation this generation is unlocking some great tactics in sales because they keep asking why we're doing it this way why Mm -hmm. we're going here or why and i love what you said about that so let me ask you this to kind of put your sales mm-hmm. thinking cap on. Where does this generation iterate sales training? How do they take it from where it is now to, to that next to that next iteration of where we're going in sales training? Well, I think it's it's still focusing on conversation, right? Like you're still gonna have to for the next foreseeable future, you're still gonna have to talk to people but not for all sales. Like we're already seeing it, right? Like Amazon, I don't talk to anybody. I can, you know, I can buy car tires off Amazon, right? I don't have to trust. Well, you're connected to the brand. You understand that what they do, they have become masters at it because at at the touch of a, of a a phone screen, to your point, Richard, if you want to buy tires, you go, I'll just go to Amazon because your connection is, I know that Amazon and that's why they, the logo is done the way it's done. Yeah. They have products from A to Z. So you're connected there already and you know, eh, it's going to be easy. I can buy car tires there. Yeah. 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 Now I probably wouldn't. I'd probably try to go give the business to my local guy. But I probably do, yeah. right? Like I, I actually do do that. I wouldn't buy them there because I also don't know how to put them on and I don't have the equipment. So it <laughs> doesn't help me. Well, yeah, uh, I would be driving down the road and it would be, it would just, I, I would, yeah. do you remember the old Zig Ziglar wheel of life? Remember the, no, I never studied Zig Ziglar. Oh, okay. So I never so, studied the old school guys. Well, there's a there. Zig Ziglar has a thing called the Wheel of Life, and and you kind of d- plot on this thing, and it's a really cool picture where it looks like the wheel has got it looks like Pac Man, you know, it's got the piece missing out of it and things like that. That would be how it would be if I tried to put my own tires on the car. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I'm going to go to somebody that knows way more than I do. So so here's the thing that I'll go here with that. 
Wait, hold on. Before you go yeah, there, yeah, I want to answer please. your question. Yeah, please. Because you know, I want to come back to your question of where does this generation yeah. take it? Um, I think they find a way to take it online better than we did, right? Like, I think the 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 challenge with training of any type is, you know, you can do stuff online, you can do it virtually, um, but then you can't role play it so well. And we're starting to see that level of AI come out. We're starting to see that artificial intelligence. You know, it's a, like, it's a lot like the Peloton, right? Or the mirrors that you can now, you know, do a workout in, um, where I think that's where this group is going to take it. Um, but they still have to understand the concepts, right? So I think it'll come down to how they absorb it and how they practice it so they make sure they can execute it. That's where I think this generation will take it. And I also think they're going to take it in a level of like, okay, to sell this type of thing to a certain person, you've got to understand it better. So they're going to take it to the, to the ICP better, right? Like selling to developers versus selling to sales leaders versus selling to the CMO. There's going to be more data out there. There already is more data out there to identify your ideal customer profile, your ICP. And so they can come up with better tactics, strategies, a, a customized approaches. And, you know, I mean, the tactics are the tactics, you know, open, closed-ended questions, mirroring, those kinds of things. So I think they'll have a better level of intelligence behind their intent than maybe we did, right? Which is good. Yeah. Like that's progression. I don't see a problem with that. I think it's the same everywhere, right? It could be the same for, you know, the tractor salesperson, right? I'm sure John Deere is looking at how do we work better with our farmers if they're a corn farmer versus a soybean farmer versus, yeah. you know, um, you know, a pumpkin, you know, whatever it is, or, or if they have multiple, maybe they do different things throughout the seasons, right? So, so I think the data is getting better for us to have a better relational piece. And then the last thing I'll say, and I'll shut up, is that um, the B2B buying has it really is a B2C play, right? Like I'm talking to Brian and Brian's representing his company, but I got to make sure I treat Brian, you know, at a B2C level, at, at a business to, to consumer level. And I heard this the other day from marketing from someone and I said, and it was fascinating to me because I don't know the answer, was that if they were building a marketing team now for sales, they would almost hire or would make sure they hire someone from e-commerce. Yeah. Someone who's built that, how do I make that experience at the customer level that simple, whether it's Amazon or Walmart or any of those things, right? Like, and I thought yeah. that was a fascinating approach because I had not thought of if I were going to hire that someone to think about it that way. So anyway, so that's, that's, no, that's no, no, I think I, this generation is going to take it because yeah. they're going to approach it from that angle. So let me piggyback off of that. I love what you said there. And, and I'll ask this question and we'll step aside and we'll get into your story. If, if, I, if there is an entrepreneur listening to us and they say, I'm really good at product development or I'm really good at ideas, but I'm not that great at sales. I think sales is this or that or the other. What would you say to an entrepreneur that's the one thing that every entrepreneur should know about sales? Um, it's going to take longer than you think. And that your if you're the entrepreneur who's building it which is often the product like i see this a lot coming out of the you know the kids dropping out of college or never going to college because they got a great product idea 
what they don't understand is they're going in and they're talking to Brian Sexton to sell, but Brian's buying Richard, the owner of the product, the guy who's building it more than they're buying the product itself. And they forget that the title of founder CEO as an entrepreneur helps you very differently than it does a salesperson. So they're going to get frustrated when they start to bring in salespeople because, well, why can't they just do what I do? It's because they're not buying you. You know, they bought you, right? That's, that's one thing that I think they need to know. Two, I think they need to know is you can't do it in a book. There are very few people who can go and learn calculus by reading the book. They do. They exist. I know they do. But you can't read all these tactics and strategies in a book and then just expect someone to go and execute. Again, the engineering product-minded person can because that's how they think, right? It's kind of like telling me, you know, look, don't ask me to balance my books. Like, you know, my run my business in an Excel spreadsheet, right? Like, like this year, I'm finally after eight years going to go to Quicken. And that's only because my, you know, my assistant who does it's like, can we move to Quicken? I'm like, yeah, whenever you're ready, like you do it. Yeah. I don't care. So, um, so I think that's the hardest thing that entrepreneurs don't understand is that it's going to take longer than they think, um, that they're going to get frustrated when they bring in the sales team to understand why is this now is it, why is it even taking longer? And then the last thing I'll say that they don't understand, and I see this all the time is, you know, they build a company, they make it successful. They get to one to 4 million in revenue, right? Annual revenue. And they bring in a VP of sales to get them to maybe eight or 10 million. And then all of a sudden they think they know everything about sales. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the board starts speaking to them. And again, I'm talking in the startup world. So, but the board starts saying, well, you know, why aren't we growing more? Why, you know, why? And now they want to top off the VP of sales with a new CRO, or they think they need someone who can take it to 25 million or a hundred million, um, which there can be arguments for that. But it's interesting that they think they know sales better than the sales leader. And I've seen them replace people numerous times only to have it fall apart. Hey, Richard, I got to piggyback on that a minute just before we, before we transition to your yeah. story. I love what you said there. And it's, it's the reason why in the NFL, and I'm a big football fan, it's the reason why there is a such a paradigm shift in the NFL. Because when, when a team would draft a quarterback, a rookie quarterback, they would say, you come in and learn our system. This is the offense we run. Mm -hmm. And a guy would either be successful doing that or they would bust at doing that. Now what coaches have said is if they draft a quarterback, number one, because owners are paying enormous sums of money, coaches are saying, what is it that you do well and what are some plays that you like that you ran in college? And what were some of the things that you guys did? And they're taking that part of that playbook that that kid ran in college. And they're saying, okay, guess what? We're going to run the same plays here in, in the league. And, and the development of quarterbacks. Is, are they really, is, like, I, you yeah. know, I'm an NFL fan, so I, you yeah. know, I'm, a, I'm a big Bronco fan. I was a Falcons fan for a lot part of my wife, life. Um, are they really doing like I don't know this? Like I yeah, don't. Yeah, they're they're actually you know because I'm a bank you know 
I'm a Bengals fan, so I, I know suffering when I oh, see good it. good Lord, yes. Yeah, I've been a lot. <laughs> what, what, what the Bengals did with Joe Burrow this past year is yeah. when they got him signed, the offensive coordinator and the quarterback coach said, take us through your most successful. They, they sat down with him and reviewed every game that he played for two years at LSU. And they said, show us why you like these plays. What was it that made you successful right. in, in that? That's beautiful. Yeah. And, and what these coaches are doing, now you're seeing the spread entering the NFL because these kids are running it in college and having tremendous success with it. So you're starting to see uh, some spread formations and things like that. And to your point about bringing in a VP of sales is that, okay, it's like you're bringing in this quarterback saying, okay, we take us to the Super Bowl. They do it. And they go, okay, well, why can't we do that every year? Right. Because it's really hard to win. And even if we tailor the offense to everything you do well, every year the personnel changes to some degree on that team. We take in new guys. We lose guys. We lose coaches, things like that. And so I wanted to make that analogy because now in an established world like the NFL, they have finally figured out if they're going to have success immediately with a new quarterback, the most important position on the field, they've got to do things that make that quarterback feel comfortable. They got to teach him the why. Yeah. And they teach him the why by understanding them, right? To understand yeah. his why. I love this. Have you read uh, The Score Takes Care of Itself yet? I have Bill not. Walsh. I have not. So it's it's how Bill Walsh built the 49er system. Oh, yeah. And but then it has a ridiculous amount of like it's it's what he would lecture on when he would go to businesses. So he takes all this stuff and puts it in, tells you all these great stories in football, right? So as a football fan, you'll like it. But then he gives you the business application to it as well in easy to to digest manners, right? And and I think, one, I think you'll like it because you're a football fan and you're a business guy. So um, so anyway, so I'm going to pause there because I know you want to take The score takes care of itself. Yeah, let's step aside, take a break. Back with more in a minute with Richard Harris here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew, and he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger deeper and more powerful connector you've got to pick up a copy of people buy from people there are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector you can go to amazon and pick it up kindle if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way or now available on audible and there's one other way you can get a copy of people buy from people you can get one from me and i'll sign it for you you go to intentional media and publishing at gmail.com and send me an email and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of people buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. (music) 
Richard, let's dive into your story because now you had me at I'm a Broncos fan and I used to be an Atlanta Falcons fan. So so it's like the old Jerry Maguire movie. You had me at hello. Right. Take me from point A as far back as you want to take me to from where you were, where you came from to where you are now. Yeah, so I'll 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 give you the abridged version. Um, I hope because I can get long-winded. Uh, grew up in Macon, Georgia. Um, stayed there, you know, till I was eighteen. Uh, my parents split when I was ten. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. They split apart. <laughs> they didn't leave me. Yeah. Um, and they had a pretty amicable. They had a very amicable divorce. Like there was no custody issue. I could go back and forth as I wanted, as long as their schedules could allow it. There was, you know, they actually still went to some Thanksgiving and Christmas things at the same to the same family, and you know, they eventually could bring you know significant others. So like I, I, I grew up pretty blessed, right? Like it's you know, upper middle class white kid, you know, had access to things that a lot of people don't, and you know, my you know, no abusiveness, no, no you know good, a good upbringing. But I also knew I wanted to, you know, this was the seventies and eighties and I, I knew I needed to do something different, right? Like I need to get out of the South. Um, it, it was, it was not quite as, um, uh, as open as I had wanted it to be, um, particularly as a Jewish kid, right? Like there, you know, there were three kids in my Sunday school class. One was my cousin, yeah. my cousin Billy, right? So I, I wanted more diversity in my life. And so I wanted to go to California for college, uh, was not smart enough to get in, um, went to, uh, ended up going to the university of Arizona. Um, that was as far West as I could go, uh, was already independent again, Gen Xer, latchkey kid, all that stuff. And, you know, even when I went to college, my mom's, you know, I drove from Georgia to Arizona. My mom's like, well, I'm going to come with you. I'm like, Oh no, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not putting up with you for three days in the car. Um, in a joking way. And then, um, and then, uh, you said, well, I could fly out there and meet you if you wanted. And I'm like, no, I want to do this. Like I, I, I just sort of always had this independent streak, you know, um, a whole other story. I, you know, like my senior year in high school, I went to Israel for two months to do high school for two months, you know, whole other story I could share with you. But so I've always had this independent streak to go do different things, lived in Arizona, decided I would, uh, joined a fraternity, visited Colorado once in the summertime, decided I'm going to move to Denver, just up and go. So I picked up, moved to Denver, lived there, then got transferred with the company I was with to Ohio. Uh, not necessarily my favorite place. I lived in Cleveland. Um, a year. I can understand that. Yeah. I live four and a half hours from Cleveland. I, I totally understand yeah. your, like your if thought I were gonna, process. If I were going to pick Ohio, I'd probably, I'd probably end up in Columbus. Right. Um, which is sort of like the, that's like the Austin of Ohio in my, in my mind. It is. It is. Yeah. With, very much so. You know, with, with, with the Ohio state university, then moved to California with that company and, um, been in sales all my life. You know, my, my first job in high school was at the gap, right? My first sales process was called gap act, greed approach, product knowledge, add on close and thank you. So like, I still remember it. Um, both my parents were in business um, and, and in sales. My dad sold insurance. My mom sold advertising on the radio for a long time, then cable television when ESPN came along and then eventually became a, bro- a financial analyst and broker. So, that, so I've sort of been surrounded by this concept of earning for a long time. What was the greatest sales lesson your parents taught you? Stocks, something I teach my kids, the, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, we, the first stock, there were two stocks I owned that I remember as a kid. One was called Texaco. 
uh, you know, the gas station. Mm-hmm. And the other one was at that point, it was called Shoney's, right? Which was Bob's big boy. Right. If you remember Bob. Interesting fact, I'll, I'll share this with you. And you may not have known this. The first Shoney's restaurant was founded in Charleston, West Virginia. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah it, there is a landmark where the, the original Shoney sat, it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's a couple blocks away from my church that I go to up there. That's awesome. So, yeah. so, and so, you know, so like at Shoney's, I got, um, I got every, every year when we got the annual statement, they would send you a coupon that gave you one free dinner at, at Shoney's and another one at Captain D's. Cause that, that was like the fish chicken. Oh place, yeah. Right? Yeah. So so anyway, but I, and I would ask my parents, like, what, do, what does it mean? And they asked, I'm like, do I own that Texaco station? I'm like, no, they're like, no. I'm like, do I, they're like, they're like, you know, the smallest part of your fingernail, Rick. I'm like, yeah, like cut that into like a thousand pieces. And that's how much you own of Texaco. But I got the concept. Right. And also savings account. Like I remember taking my, you know, I would save money and put it in my savings account and I'd get my dad to take me down to the bank to every quarter to get my interest just added to my savings book. Like it was just like, you know, to get the extra $6. Right. And, um, and so it was just taught to me that way. That was the best thing that I think they ever taught me was, was stocks, um, and understanding the value of money and growing money. So that's, that's my biggest one. Well, and and I'll tell you this, it's, it's funny because, I, I know, you know, when, when, when your parents give you that, get you that savings account, you put that money in, you go, okay, I've got money in the bank. This is cool. Yada, yada. What I love about what you just said was I was more interested in the interest yeah. than I was in the, in the money. And, and that's a, that's a lost concept. And really that's how smart investors think they're more interested in the interest than they are the principal. Yep. Yep. And so we teach that to our boys too. Like we do stocks and they know stocks and, you know, my mom's still a broker and, you know, she'll tell them that they have shares in certain things, but she won't tell them how much yet. Um, you know, but, but we encourage this conversation and, and it's, it's the one thing I wish more parents would do. Um, and I wish, and I know a lot of parents are uncomfortable with it because maybe they aren't great at it. And I, you know, my advice, if anyone's listening is like, educate them because I don't know any parent who doesn't want their child to do better than they did. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I want my kids to be more successful than me and say, Hey, I don't know this, but I think it's important or, Hey, let's go learn this together. Right. Like, you know, go to Schwab and open an account and buy one share or something, just teach them. Right. Like, you know, Riley, my 12 year old, my mom asked him what kind of stock he would want to buy. And he said, you know what I want to buy? I want to buy Hasbro. She goes, why? And he's like, cause I love Nerf guns. Great. We bought yeah. five shares of Hasbro. Now, not everybody can afford, like, I get it. Like, yeah, everybody's, but you can still play the game. You can still go online and find an app and you can pretend and you can teach so that that stuff becomes ingrained in them later. Well, as long as, as, as Riley owns that stock, mm-hmm. he's going to be connected to that brand. Mm-hmm. He's going to continue. I mean, and that's the ultimate thing for a salesperson is if you represent a brand, that that's brilliant. Yeah. You, when you think, because in Richard, I learned this early in my sales career when I was selling food and I walked into a particular, I walked into a hotel and I walk into the kitchen manager. I was there twice a week and called her on Sunday. 
And I walked in, she had a yellow legal pad. And on one side was my competitor's name, the name of the company, the competitor. And on the other side was Brian. And I, I had a V8 moment and I said, she associates me with the company. In her mind, I and the company are one in the same. And so that was a powerful moment to really understand that everything that I did and said represented to her what the company did and said and represented to her. Yep. And so it was powerful. It was powerful. Can Take me real, real quick. I want to go here with you. Take me through the biggest obstacle, either professionally yeah. or personally, that you, that you oh, encountered yeah, no, and I'm, the I'm lesson super, you learned from it. Yeah, I'm super open about this. And, you know, a lot of people, again, I don't know who, who, who of what your listeners are like, I am what's known as a functioning depressed person. Um, done a ton of therapy, big fan of therapy. Um, therapy doesn't mean a psychiatrist or a psychologist. For me, it does. It could mean a clergy. It could mean a good friend. It could be an uncle. It could be an aunt. It could be someone that you can just talk to who really won't judge you, right? And sometimes they give you advice and sometimes they just listen, right? So I woke up one morning in San Francisco, um, this was uh, 2001, maybe. And here I am, I'm single, I'm straight, which statistically means I should have an easier chance at dating. I had a great job and I could afford to live in an apartment by myself, mm. which is not easy in San Francisco, right? So I had on paper, I was all these great things, but inside I was just a mess. And uh, I woke up one morning and physically couldn't move and, um, pick up the phone and called my mom. And of course, you know, my mom's like, get on a plane, come home. I'm like, no, I can't come home. I, and she's like, why can't you come home? And I'm like, because then the city wins. Right. And it was a tough thing, you know, for me to acknowledge that, but she picked up the phone and she called some friends and, you know, she gave me two great pieces of advice. One call, call in sick, call your buddy, Brian, who I went to college with and go meet him for a beer tonight. Like just tell him you need to talk. And I would never have done that in a million years. Like I never would have even called my friend Brian, even though we were roommates in college, right? Um, and I found a therapist who my mom recommended, who I still see. And I worked on myself, right? Like, and I'm open about it. I'm, I'm lucky. I've talked about it. I've written about how depression is my superpower because, you know, I'm lucky. I've never wanted to hurt myself. I've never wanted to commit suicide. I've never wanted to hurt anybody else. I certainly never physically hurt anybody. I'm sure that I was, you know, emotionally detached and hurt people. Um, so in my ways, you know, so that's been my biggest obstacle. And I still talk about it and I still have my moments, right? I still take medications and do my therapy. And, you know, I go through, I go through vacations of therapy, like, okay, I need to take six months off. Like, I don't need to do this forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm a big fan of that. And, and I, I talk about it. I'm on a board of a nonprofit called Uncrushed that specifically talks about um, mental health and particularly in sales because we do beat ourselves up really yeah. hard. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's my, that, that's been my hardest thing, I would say. And it affects every other part of my life. Did you know, I never would have met my wife. You know, I wanted to have kids, but I had no, like I said, I had no social game. Like I couldn't even, you know, like all these great things I had, um, you know, and so that's, that's, and there was no, you know, again, there's no abuse in my family. There were certainly 
probably interpreted as a kid as neglect, but it wasn't intentional neglect. Yeah. Certainly a level of abandonment, but not intentional abandonment. You know, I'm 13, 14, 15 years old and my parents and my sister are all going out on dates on the weekend, right? Like I'm, you know, not, mm-hmm. you know, so it was just that, I think that's been my biggest, you know, anybody who knows me knows that's my biggest struggle because I talk about it. So I'll, I'll pause there because I'm sure you've got like a thousand questions. So. I, I do. I, I do. And, and I want to be respectful of the the time and the audience's time. And, and, and I love what you said there about, especially in sales, because that's the world that you and I both know. Listen, sales will crush you. Totally. If you let it, it, it is, if you hate rejection, never go into sales. You're going to deal with literally in an eight to 10 hour day, you're probably going to deal with rejection at least once or twice an hour. If you're an outside salesperson like I was, where I ran a territory. Yeah. You know, if, if you are afraid of competition, don't go into sales because one minute you have the business and the next minute, you know, I, I've, I've literally walked into an account and they go, yeah, we're deciding to do something else. Oh, and, yeah. and, 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 and you, you sit there and go, well, there just went X amount of dollars out the window. How am I going to replace that? And yeah. so, yeah, you, it's constantly a mind game that you play with yourself that it's like, okay, I just got to keep next play. I've got to keep going next right. play. The one follow-up question I've got, I've got to ask this. By the way, I can go some extra minutes. I don't. I know. Yeah, yeah. Minutes. Let's go a few extra. Whatever minutes. Whatever you want to do. Yeah, let's do, let's go a few extra minutes because I've got a question around this. When you when you dis, when you were able to have that unlocking moment where you said, "I'm a functioning depressed person," and you said depression is my superpower. At that point, how were you able to to harness your disease? into something that was good for you? So it's interesting. Um, you know, I don't think I realized that until about four or five years, four or five years ago. So this all happened in my early thirties. So I've been doing this for 20 years. Right. Yeah. Um, and even during those 20 years, certainly the first couple of years, I didn't tell a lot of people, but as I started to date, um, you know, it, it you know, we would share these things. I love what you said as I was doing this. A lot of people say, as I was living with this, or as it was a part of me, you took it. That is a passive approach. You took it. You intentionally used an active word there as I was doing where I am in my journey. Yeah. Right. Like Kat, my wife tells me all the time, she's like, you know, you get really good at talking about this, but you got to be mindful that not everybody's at that space in their journey. And, you know, you may not have been. So I think there's a little bit of revisionist history probably happening, which is a fair thing, right? Um, but good on you I to figure really, out how to use it in, in your advantage. And I mean to interrupt you, Richard, but yeah. good on you to turn that from a passive to an active because I yeah. think that that when you understand this is now a part of me, yeah, a lot of people would would – are trying to, to keep it passive and go, well, I have to live with it or things like that instead of I'm doing this. Yeah. It's interesting. I never yeah. talked about it this way. And I love how you call it, caught me on that word. You know, I can tell you when I first started, um, you know, I was so embarrassed 
And, you know, I didn't even want to use my business, my work insurance, because I was afraid my insurance company would tell my employer, right? Which in fact, they would not have, and they can't. But I, that's where I was like, so paranoid, like, there's such a stigma, even still. And I remember going into my therapist after the third or fourth one, and because my dad had asked me this question. And it's typical of my father, which is a whole other story. <laughs> you know, I said, well, how many sessions is this going to take? Yeah. And she kind of looked at me and she goes, well, kind of doesn't really work that way. Right. Hey, like, that's the same thing that my father-in-law asked, man, you, you triggered something. That was the same thing. My father-in-law, I had sleep apnea. Yeah, me and, too. And, yeah. I had sleep apnea and, and the medical device person came to the house. My, my in-laws were there and, and my father-in-law goes, does he really need that machine? Right. And the, the therapist goes, yeah, he's going to die of a heart attack. He doesn't have the machine. Yes. And he snores like crazy and he yeah. keeps his wife up. And his up wife and, puts him know. in the, and his, and his totally. newborn baby so, in the other room. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just got the new one that's like this big. If you ever want to talk offline about it, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I always felt like I always felt like Johnny Bench, man. Johnny Bench was my favorite catcher growing up. Yeah. And I always wore a mask to bed every night. I'm like, number five, the catcher. Yeah. You know, it, it was like. Big red machine. Yeah. It was so cool. So, but um, yeah. So, anyways, so, so sort of back to the story on it, um, you know, that's where I started my journey, right? Um, you know, I certainly drank too much, but I don't think I was an alcoholic. My, my therapist and I talked about it. I would, I would, you know, I drank on the weekends, right? Like I didn't drink during the week. I didn't drink during the day. You know, I went out cause it's, you know, it's San Francisco. Like that's what you do. That's those, you know, you know, and that could be anywhere. It could be Columbus, Ohio. It could be Charleston, West Virginia. You go out on the weekends. Right. Um, but I cut that back, worked on myself, worked on the issues with my parents, worked on, um, you know, what I really found out was that when I was six, I had a major ear surgery. And after that surgery, I had to start wearing a earplug and a swim cap. And in the seventies, swim caps weren't cool today no. every kid wears them yeah. right and so my depression really came from here i was six or seven not wanting to be different from anybody yeah right and yeah. that's where we think it started that was a big piece of it and then the divorce kicked in and then there's you know there's all the parent stuff you get to, yeah. to work through so and then it you know i just did it and i i liked it though i liked going to therapy you know when i'm when i'm going and when i'm in the therapy zone I like, I look forward to it. Like I want to work on yeah. myself. I want to get better. And that's not everybody else's journey. I got it. Um, and then when I met the folks from Uncrushed a couple of years ago, I think that's where it really, I was really able to twist it into something different, right. Into yeah. this sort of superpower place. Um, I, I, you said something, I live with it versus here's what I'm doing with it. I think I definitely do did and still do go, well, you know, this is just a part of me and I got to live with it. Uh, but I don't, I never saw it as, I eventually stopped seeing it as an albatross weighting me down. Yeah. It was more yeah. like, all right, I'm, I'm right-handed. Right. Okay. Well, I got depression. Like I got to an acceptance place with it because I also was going through medication and all these different things and therapy to, to manage it. So, right. Well, and again, I'll say this real quick and, and we'll pivot and then wrap wrap up here but it was like that when my dad passed away mm. i got to the point where i'm like i got it's like well yeah my dad's been gone for eight years now i mm -hmm. i've accepted it you know there's from from the moment it happened there wasn't anything i could do to change it 
Mm -hmm. And so I might as well just go on being my own man mm -hmm. and, and, and live in this legacy of things that my dad poured it. So I love what you said there about just, just going with it and just living with it. So, so I think it's the yeah. stages of grief, right? I, I yeah. you know, never analyzed it, but I bet it's the same thing. You know, first you're in shock. Yep. Then you're in denial. Then you, you know, starting to move through. I don't know what the seven stages are, but I think it's very similar. Right. And then, Oh yeah. A hundred percent, Richard, hundred percent, a hundred percent. No, you're, you're on it. And man, we could go for hours, but I would, totally. I want to be respectful of the audience time and your time. Yeah. Please leave this audience with the biggest piece of intentional encouragement that you have. Biggest piece of intentional encouragement is um, work with intent, right? Talk about, I talked about this earlier the other day with a friend of mine was it's intent and integrity. And those two things go together really well. Be intentional in what you're doing and do it with integrity. Um, and, you know, uh, I don't care, you know, what religion you are. I don't care what political affiliation you are. Be nice, right? Be intentional about it and have integrity in the way you do it. Those are the things that, that I think really help. Man, that's so good. Everywhere. Yeah, that is so good because, again those are core fundamentals that anybody can, can do tell yeah. folks how they can get connected with you. Uh, they can find your podcast, right. tell, tell folks how they can get, get your, your content. Yeah. So a couple of places, one LinkedIn, easiest place to get a hold of me, right? I'm there religiously like most salespeople. It's my second religion. I'm probably more LinkedIn ish than I am Jewish. Um, that's a new line. I got to write that. Down. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a bit nutty this way. Like this is legit. My real cell phone number is 415-596-9149, 415-596-9149. Wait a minute. I got to jot that. I got to jot that down. Yeah. So 415-596-9149. Uh, and Richard at R Harris, R H A R R I S 415.com. Richard at R Harris 415.com. Easiest ways to get a hold of me. Always have to have a conversation about sales, life. You know, you, you know, people are always uncomfortable talking about their mental health. If they're like, you know, send me a note that just says, "Hey, Richard, I really appreciate it." I'm, I, you don't have to have a conversation with me, but I will if you want to. So, um, dude, that's awesome because again, I, I normally am like the the cell numbers are 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 privy just to myself, and then. You know, but uh, I, that is the so funny cool. thing is nobody ever calls me. I give it out at conference. Well, when I went to, oh, I okay. So now you've thrown down the gauntlet. So you're going to, yeah. you're going to see this weird 304 number pop up. Yeah. Like text who me, in call God's, me. Who in God's name is calling me from West, from West Virginia. Virginia? Oh, it's Sexton. You know, it, it had to be Sexton. I do, threw the do gauntlet. Do me a favor though. Do text me. Cause I do want to have your number in my phone. I do Absolutely. We'll do that when we finish recording. Go to Richard, R-I-C-H-A-R-D at rharris, H-A-R-R-I-S, 415.com yep. and shoot him a message. Richard, this has been incredibly good conversation, man. What a, I love it, man. What a we great way. so much. Yeah, what it's a great way. to that I have someone who can get this to go to so many places. I loved it. Thank you so much for asking me to be here and, and um, you know, you know, just really appreciate it. Oh, man, the, the, the honor was all mine. And, and again, 
folks connect with Richard, uh, especially you guys in sales that, that, that just want to connect with a neat guy, just connect with Richard. And I appreciate him joining us today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.